So, um, Justin. Yeah, Trevor. So let's talk about Japan, bro. You know, I, I've been I've been missing Japan like crazy. Uh, I've been away for seven years, seven and a half years, man. And it's like yeah, I'm it's like I'm a crack fiend, fiending for crack. I need my Japan crack. In more in more ways than one, I need my Japan crack. <laughs> some back some front crack, back crack, all that. Whatever kind of crack, I, whatever kind of crack I can get, um, I think I need it, bro. What about you? Um, you know, there's a lot of things I miss about Japan. Um, you know, women is definitely one of them. Um, but yeah, it was a really intense six, seven years for me. But yeah, what what brought you to Japan? You know, my Japan story, my Japan story is not interesting, bro. My, my, my going to Japan story, I don't think it's interesting anyway. I was, um, I was living in Los Angeles. I was pursuing my acting career and I, I guess it was going all right. It was going, you know, better than some, not as, as, as well as others. But, um, Japan is, LA is expensive and I am not from LA. I'm from Brooklyn, and I just wasn't really... I couldn't get my head into being in L.A. for this supposed career. So I wasn't all invested in L.A. I wasn't all invested, and I just happened to be looking for jobs, man. I was just looking for any job in L.A. I was. I, I, this was a time before streaming, so there were a lot of blockbuster mu- um, video houses and... I was applying for jobs, man, at these at these blockbusters and stuff, and I happened to see on um, this magazine. It was called Backstage Magazine. I happened to see an ad for it, the ad was vague. The ad said something like, um, "Come to Japan, teach English, teach acting, you know, mm-hmm. gain some independence." And I just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I remember those, yeah. I just happened to apply for one of those ads, man. I just I just happened to apply for one of those ads and put it in the back of my mind. And then a few weeks later they contacted me. Somebody from the name of the first the, the name of the school was Shokosugi Institute. Somebody from Shokosugi but, I mean, but, but I mean I mean why did you respond to that ad? I mean, were you one of them dudes that was kind of into Japan before, and then when you saw the Japan ad, you were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's kind of my jam anyway. Absolutely not, bro. Absolutely not. I, I didn't know a single thing about Japan. I was not, I was not like a Japanophile. I wasn't into anime. I wasn't into sushi. I wasn't into you know samurai culture i wasn't into japanese women i wasn't into the culture that i didn't particularly nothing bro i had a random i mean i mean trying to switch it up you were just like look i gotta switch scenes that's it that's it i just i just wanted you know an opportunity to get out of la man get out of la for a while and um the Japan well, thing you know, just fell into my lap. A lot of people, a lot of people don't do that. I mean, I mean, 99.9 percent of people are not gonna see an ad. I mean, back in the day before the, you know, the, all that stuff. 
streaming and all that. No, they're not gonna see some ad and be like, oh yeah, let me roll over there and check it out. I need to, I need to change the scenes. I mean, that takes balls. That's like, you know, who are who are of your type, of your cloth, you know, bold, you know, go for it. Just out there, always exploring something new. You know, well, you know what, like man, I I would like to, I would really like to be able to say, yeah, I'm a bold guy, you know, I take chances, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be, I'd like to, I'd like that to be my story, but that wasn't my story, that, you know, boldness and taking chances were not in my mind, I, you know, what it was was fear, man, fear drove that fear, desperation, Fear and desperation drove the decision for me to go to Japan. Like I said, things in... Well, what were you... Fear and desperation. Fear and desperation from what? what? What were you fearful of and what were you desperate for? My life in L.A. as an actor was not what I expected it to be. Let's, let's, I guess let's just put it like this. It wasn't what I was expecting it to be. I felt very lonely in Los Angeles. And um, I wasn't a young man, and I, I knew that, I mean, I wasn't old, but I knew that um, I had passed a certain age, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, I had kind of put all my marbles, man, into that acting thing, and it wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go, and I did not see, I didn't know what else I could do if the, if the acting thing didn't work I didn't know what else I could do so when that opportunity to apply for that job in Japan appeared in my life it seemed to me like a way to escape what wasn't happening in my life it seemed like a, a, a was it kind of like a new place to reboot no man like, it, look, I, I gotta reboot my shit I it wasn't I didn't think of it like that because I didn't know if I would have been able to reboot I, I, I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to reboot all I knew was getting out of LA and going to Japan was akin to kind of dropping off the face of the earth and that's kind of what I wanted to do I just wanted to vanish from had to, you had to escape. Yeah, I felt. I like, look, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, that's it. I just, I felt like, yeah, I, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of this country. I gotta get out of this city. I gotta get out of this scene. I gotta, gotta get out of this, this wish, this dream. And going to Japan felt like, you know, burying, you know, just kind of burying my head in a black hole and just vanishing. So, it seemed perfect. Did you think that by escaping some place? You would, um, it would it would help you in some way. You know that, bro. The acting thing at the level I was doing the acting thing in L.A. before I left for Japan, it can really play games with your head. Like mm-hmm. I, I was auditioning, bro, with. Um, let me say some names. I don't know if you know who Lorenz Tate is. Um, Lorenz was in the very first... Lorenz was in... Uh, he did one of the first hip-hop 
West Coast hip hop movies, Menace to Society. Lorenz was, I think Lorenz was in Menace to Society. Um, this other guy, Sh- Sh- Shamik, is that his name? He went on to host Soul Train. My point being, at that point in my career, I had just done a Beyonce video. I had just done a Chrysler Neon commercial. Um, I had just done VIP with Pamela Anderson on TV. I was up for some pretty major roles. But at the same time, I was starving. And that's the life of an actor in Los Angeles. You can have a commercial on TV. You can have a, you know, a sitcom on TV, a movie that you did but be broke at the same time and that's the life i was living it's it's an image you know you you see a person on tv you think oh that person's got it made but you don't know what they're what they're really going through and that's what i was going through so i was i was auditioning for major roles that can change your life you know roles that can pay you 30 you're going from getting unemployment to making thirty thousand dollars a week that's that's what can happen to you in the blink of an eye in la but when you get two three four five opportunities like that and you don't convert those those don't they they don't come to fruition brother it really starts to mess with your mind do you understand what i'm saying about japan we're getting into hollywood now but there are thousands and thousands of people, right, in, in those shoes where they, they come to L.A. looking for opportunity and, you know, and acting and whatnot, and they're a starving, they're a starving student, you know, and, and, and those deals come by, but they, they don't convert to contract and, you know, maybe they did a couple of extra spots or something like that. How, how old were you when you moved to Japan? I was 37, bro. Oh man, we were almost the same age. I was, I yeah. was, I was 37. Yeah, I was 37 when I moved to Japan. You know, pushing 40, pushing 40 as you know, which is middle-aged, a middle-aged black actor in Los Angeles. You know, and and my prospects. Although I was having, you know, some some great auditions and doing, you know, a few great things here and there, the life of an actor isn't consistent. And those downward spirals between the upward spirals, those downward spirals can really, really, really be life wrecking. And it just felt like that's what I was going through. The ad for Japan popped up into my life. Trevor take a chance man you know see what can happen maybe you can end up in japan who the hell knows what's in japan but you know it's it's got to be better than here you know wishing hoping praying that somebody will notice you you know wishing hoping praying somebody will notice you and the the irony is you know you get to japan as a six foot tall black foreigner and everybody notices you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. It is different. It, it, it is. It is nice to get that attention because you know in America you're not shit. You know people are like whatever. And then you go to Japan and it's like everybody looks at you when you walk down the street. And it's not like it's not a look of disgust. It's like 
it's like, hey, check that out. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's that? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and when when did you move to Japan? I moved to Japan in October 2003, bro. October 2003. I I um I remember it like it ha- like it was yesterday. I had a girlfriend in Los Angeles, girl named Christine. Christine was also trying to make it in the industry, and our relationship was pretty rocky. I applied for this job in 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 Japan. A couple weeks later, I got a contact. They said to meet them on Hollywood Boulevard. This was in August. This was in late August. My interview was on Hollywood Boulevard. I went to some nondescript building. I had this interview. I spoke to Mr. Sho Kosugi, who was the president of the institute. I spoke to him live on the phone in Japan, in Tokyo. He, he, you know, he got on the phone with me. And he said, "Hey, do you want to come to Japan?" And I was like, um, uh, yeah, I, I think so, sir. Yeah, sure, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, if you agree to this opportunity, you're going to be in Japan in a month. You're going to have to, you know, draw down your life in, 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 in L.A. and be prepared to, to come to live in Japan for a year because my original, con- my original, that job was for a year contract. Be prepared to come to live in Japan for a year. And I was like, okay. And then, bro, a month later, I was on an airplane that landed in, at the time, it was, um, I think at the time it was Nagoya Airport. I don't think it was Chubu Airport. I don't remember. But it was a different airport than what it is now. And I landed in Japan, and these two girls, Aki and Eiko, and I had never heard names like that before in my life i had never met exactly exactly i was like those are not names those are sounds aki yeah aki and eiko are you trying is somebody having an airache what are you talking about aki and eiko but you know that they, they came to the airport they met me at the airport aki was um tall and had a huge octopus head and Aiko was shorter um, but they were both the nicest 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 most up to that point they were the the two kindest human beings I'd ever met in my life they looked out for every aspect of my being from the moment I arrived in Japan do you understand I remember in the middle of the night you know, I would be cold and they would bring me blankets. They would bring me soup. You know, they would they would drive me anywhere I needed to go. You know, they were just so, so, so kind. And that coming from, you know, the cold, mean streets of Los Angeles was completely... Get your own damn soup, man. Ain't no one looking out for you. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know that? And then ten year, after 10 years in Japan, uh, uh, Aki and Eiko, um, how they treated you is just normal. You know, after living in Japan all those years, you just that's just how people take care of each other, especially assets. You know, you were a business asset, and they're there to, to give you, you know, exceptional service. You see, that's that's like, as far as I'm concerned, bro, that's one of the major differences. 
between Japan and any other, any other, not just American, but any other, I guess, culture that I've ever encountered. And that is their attention to like um, service and attention to detail and attention to your well-being. You know what I mean? As as both a foreigner and as Japanese, they treat other Japanese the same way. They they they're extremely careful to make sure everything about your experience is as good as it can be. Um, Except when they don't. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. And so you went there for one year, and you wound up there ten years. Yeah, and every single year I was, every year was my last year. Every year I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to go back to America, and that. Yeah, but that is the story. Except, except, the year after I got married. When I got married, I I kind of thought, well. Trevor, you know you're 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 married. You're here in Japan. You're married to a Japanese woman. You've got children, you know, with these with this Japanese woman. Maybe maybe you should you should start thinking about locking it in here. What about you, man? Yeah, we're what? Gonna, we're gonna get into all, into all that stuff. Uh, I have a feeling we're gonna have to have multiple conversations to cover things. But yeah, okay. So yeah, to me. Um, why did I go to Japan? I mean, where where were you when? Where were you immediately prior to you getting on an airplane to go to Japan? Where were you? I was in Walnut Creek, and Walnut Creek, California, and I was. Uh, my wife was already in Japan. So you were married. I was. I was married at the time. My wife was already in Japan. She had left a few weeks before me. Was she Japanese? And, um, yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I was just hanging out to sell the car and do a couple of things and bounce out over there. But, but to understand why I moved to Japan, and this episode is all about why you and I moved there, right? Uh, the, the, um, and, and thank you for having me on your show. No, no worries, the, man. Um, to understand why I moved, you have to understand the context of of my life, and uh, and, and, and to, to kind of whet the viewers' appetite, the listeners' appetite for for the session. Between you and I, Trevor, we probably have some of the most crazy, insane, intense stories a foreigner will ever hear. About what? people who have lived in Japan. Let me tell you. Well, I would just, just this is just a little, a, a little, a, cl- a little clip of the future chat we're going to have. But while I was in jail, we'll get there later. Jail, <laughs> you were in jail uh, in Japan, dude. We'll get to that later. What the? F- uh, a SWAT team, a SWAT team rushed my house and everything. Anyway, so while I was in jail, Bobby Estes, Bobby Estes was in jail right beside me in the next cell. And he won the Grammy for Best Songwriter. And the, and he was crying. He got busted because he came to Japan and he had some, some lollipops with him that were infused with weed. So they kept him in jail. And um, he won the Grammy while he was in jail. Anyway, we'll get to all those kind of stories in the SWAT team and the Yakuza and all that stuff later. But while I, before I moved to Japan, I, I was a, a Jehovah's Witness. 
And, wow. Um, I was and just I having went, a conversation with a friend of mine today about the Jehovah's Witness organization. That's really serendipitous. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is a. Uh, at this point, uh, after having, you know, uh, gone to school and kind of educated myself on various things, I would consider that organization a a a Christian cult. Uh, it, it is really a cult-like group. Anyway, so my parents were hippies. So this this, this is going to kind of set you up to why I went to Japan. My parents were hippies. My dad's black, my mom's white. They were smoking weed, getting high in the 60s in Berkeley, California, you know, where all the hippies just started. I love that area, man. Yeah, they decided to check out religions. So they're bouncing around, they're hitting up Quaker and Mormon, and they decided on Jehovah's They had a bunch of kids. I was one of them. So I was raised in this cult-like Christian group. And you're not allowed to marry outside the group. You have to marry another Jehovah's Witness. Um, and so um, my parents' friends introduced me to this young girl from Japan. Well, I mean, you know, young woman from Japan. And she was also Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And she came over to California to, to um, visit some fellow Jehovah's Witnesses. So wait, we, so wait, we wait, wait. What, was she a Jehovah's Witness in Japan before coming to America? Yes. Yes. She was born and raised in Japan. You know, she's from, she's from Tokyo area. And, and she was actually also born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. Her mother's a Jehovah's Witness, but her dad isn't. And she was, um, anyway, so she's a, and which is really rare for a Japanese person to be any kind of Christian religion or let alone a cult so she came over to America to visit some other Jehovah's Witnesses and kind of see the sites I showed her around we were in our early 20s and um, I thought she was really cute she had a really great ass I mean awesome she had like a black woman's ass oh uh, that is the bro that is the best you don't see that a lot over there but when you see that it's like it, it's like Something is really fucking with your mind when you see it. I was just like, sure. it was so hot. I just couldn't. So anyway, so um, we get married because you can't have sex before marriage. So we get married, and I'm 26 years old, and I lose my virginity on our marriage night. And then, you know, but right before marriage, like, you know, when I was 24, when I first met her, I was already going through the struggle, the mental struggle of, you know, I, I don't know if this is for me. You know, I was going to college and learning critical thinking and starting to question things. I'm like, I really got to exit this religion. But I know what happens when I exit the religion. They disfellowship me, aka excommunicate me. My family, my friends, everyone cuts me off. I didn't want to go through that drama. I just wanted pussy. I've never been married before. So I decided, you know what, let me just give this religion, this cult, another shot. All right, let's get married. So um, I married her because she was cute and I wanted sex lost my virginity two or three years later after marriage we're in california and i'm just like man this is not working out i i i don't know if i can do this and and wait 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 why i mean what 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 wasn't working out the jehovah's witness thing like i tried to give it another go after marriage because after i married her because i excused jehovah's witness and and the only reason i married her is because i wanted sex um, and so, well, that's not the only reason. She sure. Was other things too. And she was over the side. So then I'm thinking, boy, 
I really need to get out of this religion. How am I going to do this? And she had no family over here, no friends, no job. I'm the one that worked. And I, I just felt bad. I, I, I felt I can't divorce her here in California and then just leave her. What was she going to do? So I thought, let me divorce her in Japan. And then her friends are there, her family's there. Other and then I can I can, Go ahead, go yeah, ahead. It, and I could, I could exit um, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I could get the divorce in Japan. She could be, could get the support of her friends and family and all that stuff. So I told her, hey, listen, let's move to Japan. And she said, why? And I said, well, we can um, practice our missionary work there in the English congregation. And then I can get to know your parents. And if things work out, we can do what you always want to do, which is be a missionary in Africa or whatever. And I'm, I was so not down with that. I'm not trying to get malaria. So I was like, you know what? That was my line to sell it. So she said, okay, great. So she packed things up, started moving. And so when we, so we moved to Japan, but I already had in the back of my mind, I'm going to exit the Jehovah's Witness cult and I'm going probably going to have to divorce her as a result of exiting the cult. Because once you are married to someone and you stop being a fellow believer, like everyone cuts you off and most of the time couples get separated so I already knew that was going to happen so that's why I moved to Japan it had like you Trevor it had nothing to do with I'm into Japanese people and I'm into this and people look at me and they say oh man but well, you're married to Japanese one well, and I'm like no my cult introduced me to a Japanese match to, to a sister who, you know females in the organization are called sisters and, and so she was a marriage match and so they kind of matched us and then we got married so that's why I moved to Japan and lo and behold shortly after we moved to Japan I did get divorced and got my own apartment and it just all hell broke loose as far as the Japan, Japan scene and all that stuff imagine being being in your early 30s or mid 30s and you've only ever had sex with one woman before and you I didn't have sex here 26 and you were raised in this conservative Christian cult and then you just get to Japan it was like wild and out plus man whore plus everything all mixed together I can imagine bro I, I can imagine let me ask you do you think you have um, and pardon my expression this this might be derogatory some people this is what people say you know a yellow Fever? Do you have? Do you think you have a yellow fetish? Do you uh, do you fetishize it, Japanese or well, Asian I mean, women? Listen, is, is, is this a politically correct show? It's just the truth show. Okay, all right, the truth show. So, so listen. Yes, I like Asian women. I like how they look, and um, some people have criticized me for that. And and my my counter argument is listen. My favorite ice cream flavor in the world is mocha almond fudge. I love mocha almond fudge. Um, they don't give me peppermint. I hate peppermint ice cream. Everyone has a right to have flavors they like. Um, it's just, I just like how Asian women look. Let me and, ask and you. I wasn't out seeking an Asian woman. It just happened to, it just happened that way because the Jehovah's Witnesses hooked us up. What, you know, is there a particular nationality of Asians you like? Like, we're talking about our time in Japan. So do you prefer Japanese women above Koreans or, or Chinese or, you know, Thai women? Are, are Japanese... Uh, it, it's, all about, it's all about 
for me, it's all about looks. I just, I, I like the eyes. I like the, I like the, um, just, just their, their, their shape. You know, all that stuff. They seem to be more slender. Well, it's not seen. They are more slender. And I've seen the look that I like. I've seen it in Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Thai, um, um, Philippine. You know, I've, I've seen it in, in many Singapore. I've seen it in many areas in Asia. You know, browsing pictures on the internet and stuff. So I wouldn't say I'm drawn to. Well, well, it, but I would say the look that I like is reflected in all kinds of Asian countries in Asia. But it's if you you run into it the most in Japan and Korea. So you first get to Japan. You've only had sex with one woman in your entire life. That woman happens to be Japanese. What you know what. How did the culture introduce itself to you in terms of how relationships are conducted in Japan versus how relationships are conducted here in America? Like, what was your 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 introduction to relationships with women in Japan? Uh, one hundred percent corruption. You got to understand, I was a sheep among wolves. I mean, I had no experience dating. I had no experience with game, quote unquote game, or being a player, or like, or like even even how to converse with women. I mean, I, I was a shy, you know, Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, influence, you know, young man, and I had, you know, like, like I, I, there was nothing to compare because I had never experienced it before, and and my first um, sexual experiences in Japan. And, you know, obviously outside of my marriage, um, were it, it was basically women who who picked up on the fact that I didn't know what the fuck was going on, and I was just this just this complete noob, you know, when it comes to this stuff. They picked up on that and they just fucking. Manipulated the shit out of me. I got played so hard by so many women the first couple of years. What does I just, what does you know define getting played in Japan? What does that mean? You got played by women. What what does that mean exactly? I mean, they they um, you said manipulation. They manipulated my emotions. They. They, they said things and did things to to make me more into them. And if they said or did these things to a normal guy who's been around the block a few times, the guy'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. I know what you're trying to do." But I had no idea. So they would say things and do things to 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 um, manipulate my emotions to make them more intense. They would. Um, 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 almost make me their property you know in a way like like oh this dude i have him wrapped around my finger now so like we're doing this we're doing this and this and that and the other and they would draw me into their their world you know however so however crazy or not crazy it was so you're in japan you've, you've just gotten to japan you've you, you know you've, you've only been with one woman in your life and you're introduced to this world of women who are using their whatever, feminine, you know, powers, feminine ways to draw you into their world. 
were you adapting to Japanese culture at this time? Like, what what was your? I was I was probably adapting to Japanese culture faster than any guy that's in Japan because I didn't come to Japan looking for pussy. I didn't come to Japan because I was into anime or or manga or fucking temples or samurais or all that shit you said. I came to Japan as a Jehovah's Witness looking to get out, looking to divorce. I consumed myself with reading people, reading Japanese people, picking up on things, trying to understand their culture, trying to understand all the nuances, all that stuff. I was not distracted at all for the first couple of years. I was just completely focused on like like trying to understand this country. You know, you you it's so funny like you said you weren't distracted and like here in America it seems as though that's all we are. That's you know all we are is distracted. There is there is no moment really um of focused focused um sustaining of attention you know where it's almost like the american way is to be is to have attention deficit disorder and i experienced like the same sort of focus mine was different than yours yours was because you know you were sort of naive i guess um you you, you didn't go there with a intent with an intention to you know sexually indulge yourself like a lot of people do and you know you 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 hadn't had very much experience in terms of relationships so yeah i could see i could see how you would be a sponge in that in that situation let me ask you this question because you went there obviously i mean i'm assuming you were an experienced a man of the world you know before you went to japan you had you know, you, you said you had a girlfriend. I'm sure you've had a few girlfriends. Oh, yeah. One. Oh, yeah. I had, I, I had had... a man of the world it, 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 uh, with experience in America and maybe other countries. What was it like for you when you went to Japan and you started having sexual encounters with, with the women there? That's such a good question. Man, the first three months I lived in Japan, October, November, December, um, I didn't do anything except work. I, I was living in an apartment maybe a quarter of a mile away from my job. I had to be up at my job at 8 o'clock. I, you know, I didn't finish my job until 6 p.m. and I was there on property all day long. I taught like five or six classes every day and my work was my life for my first three months. So you know, I would go out to eat, I guess. Um, I went to a place and I got unagi, which is um, eel. I fell in love with unagi when I got to Nagoya. I went to this unagi restaurant like every night um, or, or a ramen restaurant, ironically enough. And here's how the ramen re- restaurant figures in. Um, right around Christmas, I started going to a gym and there was a girl, a Japanese girl, who was also going to this gym. And I remember one day I was doing triceps and she came over and she started doing triceps and then I started doing biceps and she started doing biceps until finally I recognized, okay, this chick is following me. And I said something to her, I said something to her. And then we started talking, turns out 
she owned the ramen restaurant that I had been visiting. And then we started a relationship, bro. Her name was Yuko, and I'm still very, very good friends with Yuko. Um, we started a little relationship, you know. Um, I would, you know, I'd work late at night, then she'd invite me over to her apartment, and then she'd make ramen, and she made banana bread. And Yuko was my first girlfriend in Japan for about three months. It was just me and Yuko for about three months, maybe December, January, February, maybe January, February, March. Then spring came, bro, and I discovered um, Gary's. I don't know if you remember Gary's in Nagoya. It's 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 an R&B club. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I discovered Gary's and started going to Gary's, bro, and at this club, the band had groupies, and as soon as I walked through the door, man, I... I it, oh, it was on and cracking, because you were like the black guy in an R&B club in Japan, and you know they're, they were just waiting for you to come in the door. They treated me like I was a movie star, bro. They treated me like they, 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 they literally treated me like I was a movie star, and it wasn't because of a case of mistaken identity, like they thought I was somebody else, no. It was just me. It was just the, you know, exactly me, who I am. And they treated me wonderfully, man. They they just catered to me. They were very kind. Like I said, Aki and Eiko, they, they all had that sort of same, what can I do for you? What can I get to, you know, how can I get to know about you? I'm very interested in you. What, you know, let me cater to you, you know, um, and they are they, they are that way as well sexually you know that that's 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 that was kind of the experience that opened me up it was like they were very kind to me wanted to know about me curious about me catered to me and brought all of those same values or desires into the bedroom when it came to sex like the same thing they were like very very willing to please me open you know, willing to give themselves without like a, a long, strange mental battle, like like I think we we sort of put ourselves through here in the West. You know, they 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 didn't play or or I didn't feel a lot of weird male versus female banter, sarcasm. You know. I didn't feel any of that. I just felt. Uh, Trevor, how can I how can I take excellent care of your dick this evening? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, but, but you know. And and listen, wait wait. Listen. I want to say. I just want to add. You say that in jest, right? You say that in jest, but the reality is that's really really the truth. And an American woman, dare I say, any Western woman would feel offended by you wanting her to express that type of sentiment towards you. She would feel offended if you told her, hey, why don't you think about servicing my dick this evening the best way you can? She'd feel offended like you somehow offended her femininity, whereas the Japanese women they just understand it as a matter of course in terms of 
you know, the male-female biological dynamic. It just seemed to me that they were just so much more in touch with the biology of what it means to be a woman compared to what, you know, what men want. They just... And and that seemed... And I thought of... That was... To me, brother, that's a smart way to approach life as a woman. But whatever. You, you know, it's it, it's interesting. You say, uh, you know, I said it in jest, but but actually, a lot of things that I that I joke about around Japan are actually founded in my my experience. You know, so there's a lot behind what I say and what I joke about. So so when I said, "Hey, Trevor, how can I service your your dick as best as I can this evening, or whatever?" Yeah, it, it, it was a joke, but it was actually real. Because I know that's what she's thinking. Exactly. You know, she, 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 I'm going to do my best. Yeah, bro. You know, like, I am going to suck this guy's dick so good, and I'm going to let him use me however he wants, because I want him to feel that, that, that I'm doing the best I can to please him. Exactly, that bro. Is, that is a huge difference between women in Japan and women in America. And, you know, like I said, by extension, Western women in general, because it isn't just women in America, it's European women, it's South American women, it's Australian women, it's all women of the first world in Western-oriented countries. But that's another conversation. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with that attitude because the man is going in basically with that attitude too. How can I service you the best that I can to make you excuse me excuse me feel as good as i can make you feel and you know the american western women just don't have that thought process they don't have the thought process of what can i do to make him feel as good as he wants to feel even if it's simply sexual they don't have that they don't have that they don't allow themselves that thought process that thought process is attached with a whole lot of baggage that dates back you know whatever hundreds of years in terms of how men and women treat each other here you know here sex isn't purely biological it's also first of all tainted with the whole judeo-christian you know uh, if you've sex if you have sex you sin Conservative Christian, you know, constraints, you know. Exactly. Like, not that. We can't do that in the bedroom. Exactly. And over in Japan, they don't give a fuck. What I want to say, Trevor, to your audience is we, and you and I, we talk, we, we have had a number of conversations about Japan, and and when we, when I talk about Japan and just talk about things, um, you are more open and, um, you know, let's say colorful, and, and I understand this is a, a, a you know a, a podcast, and, and, and we don't want to, um, you know, th- there's going to be some things that we might we want to show some discretion on, but um, I, I'm going to try to get you out a little more because I think your audience would love it, would love to hear you and I just kind of getting down how we do, you know, when we talk about Japan. But one thing. One thing you, you you mentioned, which was really interesting, when you said you found Gary's, and then you said you you walked in the door and they just they were just like totally like welcoming. They were just like, oh my god, like like hey. And, you Thank know, you were, for coming, were, sir. Thank yeah, you so yeah, much for just, 
blessing us with your presence. Thank you for coming. What can I? What can we do for you? How can we make this evening as enjoyable for you as it possibly can be? Thank you so much for coming. You know that you don't get that kind of treatment anywhere in America from anyone except potentially family. But you don't get that treatment anywhere. You, what you, and what you do get often in America is exactly the opposite. You get an opposite sense of. You know, what are you doing here? Why did you come? Who invited right, right, you right. in here? Well, what what you are, you know, to, to the listeners, one of the one of the lessons I learned in Japan much later, and I'm sure you, you you learned this before I did, is that you have to be what Japanese people think you are. Just just be that be that role, be that person. So you got lucky by stumbling on Gary's early in the game, an R&B club. In Nagoya, right, and then you just happen to be a black dude rolling in there, and you just totally fit the bill for what they were looking for. And I didn't, I didn't learn that lesson until years later. You, you learned that lesson by luck, by stumbling on Gary's, but I didn't learn that lesson until years later because I was always trying to figure out yeah, after after I lived in Japan for many years. I was like, well, you know, what do women want? What do these Japanese women want? Like. Do they want me to be a hip-hop guy? Do they want me well, to be interesting, a, a interesting. guy? Do they want me to be a a, um, a business guy? Like, like, they see me, so when they see me, what do they expect me to be? Sure. And, and what I did is, I did an experiment. So, I pretended to be a hip-hop guy for a minute with the ladies. I pretended to be a... a big business guy, shot show, you know, president guy. I pretended to be a, um, you, you know, a, a Brazilian guy because a lot of them think I was Brazilian or something. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when I stopped being me and I started being someone... That they I expected you to be. That they expected me to be, I got more... I got more um, Your success rate went way up, didn't it? Because because when they see you, they automatically try to fuck at you. Like, like, oh, so you must, you are Brazilian, so you like these things. Let, let me make you this. Let me do this for you. Oh, you're a hip-hop guy. Yeah, I'm way into hip-hop. There's all these subcultures in Japan. Hip-hop, ladies who are into hip-hop, ladies who are into Brazil, ladies who are into Australian or, or whatever, English, you know, England shit or whatever. And if you, if you, um... If you portray that to them, all of a sudden they feel safe because they, and, and, and even more interested because they feel they're getting what they're looking for. Right. You're giving them, you're giving them sort of the um, real life version of what they've had in their mind. It's like maybe they've been thinking about meeting their, the, the hip hop guy yeah. or they've been the thinking. All they get is movies and what Hollywood tells them it is and magazines, all that stuff. So. If you cater to that subculture, all of a sudden, the people, the men and women in that subculture totally accept you. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, come on over. They want to go out with you. They want to hang out with you, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's pretty shallow, but it, it pays to, to act a stereotypical way in Japan. Did you... you... What stereotypical way fits your physical description and act that way yeah you know I, I it's funny like 
you're right. I walked into this R&B club late at night. I had dreadlocks, and this is 2003. My my dreads were down the middle of my back. Not many, not not very many cats had locks at that time, 2003. You know, maybe no. me and Lenny Kravitz, and maybe uh, <laughs> right, right. you know, a couple other cats. But not many people had it. So I walk into this club. I've got my locks down my back. Yeah, these Japanese girls are thinking this guy's a star. You know, this guy's a movie star. But my day job, bro, was teaching English. Okay, my day job was teaching English and acting to three-year-old to fifteen-year-old Japanese kids, and it was very much not a corporate job, but very much a very high-profile um, kind of um, high. Visibility job where, you know, my uniqueness could could go either way. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm teaching these kids in front of their parents, and I'm this dread long dreadlock, Bob Marley, you know, Lenny Kravitz looking black guy from America. They don't really know, you know, where I'm coming from. They they have certain expectations, but then there is also a certain number of expectations that I've got. To match, you know what I'm saying. I, I've I've got to be able to be polite enough to say Yoroshiku anegaishimas, and you know, um, you know, hajime mashite, you know, you know, whatever the language is in terms of meeting people for the first time, being polite, working your way into their safety zone. So that was also a part of my first. You know, three, six, nine months experience, just kind of like, you know, you're saying yes. If you if you act a certain stereotype, there is a you know you've, you're kind of like paving a certain pathway to, towards success for yourself in Japan if if you allow yourself to just be that stereotype. But at the same time, there's a, there's another couple stereotypes that Jap- Japanese society forces on you that you have to. Abide by, um, and those are, you know, a certain, a certain ability with the language, a certain, a certain, you know, a certain amount of knowing how to say what needs to be said, and you know that that took me two, three years to 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 fully grasp, man, just you know how to behave politely. So as to be accepted as a stereo, as a foreigner, accepted as a foreigner, but at the same time, you know, some accepted as somebody that these Japanese people are willing to like invite into their homes, invite to their parties, you know what I mean? Have teach their children in their living rooms. Mm-hmm. You know what would have been interesting for you is to like play a Jamaican thing while you were there with those long dreads because of Japanese people cannot clearly label you as something and they're a little bit confused like is that dude American? Exactly. Is he Jamaican? He has dreads. He's black. Exactly. They create a clear label about you. If you would have rolled with like a little bit of a Jamaican accent, they would have been like, ah, oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, you're Jamaican. Okay, I get well, it. Well, you know, I, man, let's go listen to some reggae. And I did do that. All the women who are into. I did do that. I did that. And I'm, you know, I'm Jamaican, first of all. So, but I did do that. I did do that, bro. You know, I recorded, you know, I recorded an album's worth of 
Jamaican slash Japanese reggae music, I did exactly that. I did that for about three or four years. That was one of the stereotypes, like you said, that when I realized, yeah, when I realized, okay, here's a lane. Here's a lane. I, you know, I, I'm the I'm the Jamaican cat who loves reggae and, you know, so you know I I did that lane in Japan for about four years, four or five years. I did it and it worked marvelously. But you know, you 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 grow. You know, you grow and I, you know I I grew out of that lane and went into a different lane. But I know exactly what you mean. So what what lane? worked best for you was it the brazilian cat was it the guy who likes hip-hop which lane in japan allowed you you... uh, i'll I'll just say the lane that worked best for me and we we can wrap up after this we we can because there's a bunch of things we can talk about in future episodes like crazy stories but um the lane that worked best for me was the successful business lane, uh, the successful business role, because um, I was running a small, before I moved to Japan, my wife told me that it's going to be hard for me to find employment there, because I'm a gaijin, right, I'm a foreigner, and, you know, gaijin is kind of like a little bit the rude way to say foreigner, you know, it's like, right. if you listen to NHK News or you read the newspaper, they don't say gaijin. They say guy kokujin. Right. And, and and when you're walking down the street and someone's like, yeah, guy did. It's kind of like, yeah, fucking foreigner. But, you know, sometimes they'll say it, they'll just say it in, in a friendly way, too. Like, you know, guys can be, you know, doesn't always mean something negative. Anyway, so so my wife said, hey, listen, they, they're not going to give you good jobs because you're, you're gaijin and you'll be able to basically teach English. You'll be able to do some acting, like, I don't know, like singing and dancing if you can. And you'll be able to do some translation work. Like, that's it. And I was just like, that's not cool. She said, no, you're not going to be able to find good work. So I started my own business before I moved to Japan. But here's where the here's where the game came in. And I didn't realize it. Like, like yeah, you stumbled into Gary's. I stumbled into the business thing in Japan. So here's it. So I was running my... And, you know, in America, anybody could start an LLC with 200 bucks. And then, well, listen, I, I'm a president over a corporation. Yeah, dude, $200. Um, in Japan, so, so that's what I did, and I had a little website creation business, and I was doing some web hosting and website design out of my apartment, and I was not making any money. I was, you know, paying a few employees here and there, and then at the end of the month, shit, man, I'd, I'd be happy to have 1500 bucks a month, so I just have a few hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, and so, but I had a business card, and I wrote my business card in Japanese. You know, it said Shacho. No president of Internet Engineering Association, fucking American company, you know, but I had it all in Japanese. Right? Mm-hmm, back and I, I even did my website in Japanese, so if they went to the website, there's an English version and Japanese version. So, so the second I gave my business card to someone, they were they picked it up with both hands and they were like, oh, chacho. Right. They were just like sucking my dick. Like, I mean, not literally, but figuratively. They were just super bowing. They were doing the super bow thing. And everything else. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. Dude, I can so hear the whole. Sacho. Sacho Jessica. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And. 
and and, and they were surprised, were shocked, and they were just like so. Then and they would do a super bow to me, all this stuff, and I was just like, man, these people are like such a top. And so and so my and so my wife was like, yeah, uh, they think that you're a big boss and everything. And I was just like, oh, it's a small company. But then I did some research, and come to find out, at that time in Japan, you couldn't start a company unless you had a couple million dollars or some crazy amount of money which i would never have right because you had to be able to cover you had to be able to prove to the japanese government that you were um that that, that you are competent enough cash wise mm-hmm. to pay for business things mm-hmm. so you just couldn't go and start a business like you could in america you, you, you know to start to be a shot show you had to have money I didn't know that, but then I found out later, and I was like, oh, that's why these people are tripping like this. They think I'm a baller, because I got Shacho on my card, and it's a business card. Anything, rule, lesson number two, right? Well, so lesson number one to the listeners was figure out your lane, appeal to what you think Japanese people think you are, go with the label. Lesson two is anything in writing in Japan is the law, like people take it hook, line, and sinker. If it's in writing on a piece of paper, it is a constitution. It is real. And the second you give them a business card that says this and that and the other, you can have this business card say whatever bullshit you wanted to say. They will believe it 100%. And so then I did that, and, and I said, you know what, fine, I'm just going to keep doing this. And then the ladies, the class of ladies that started, that I was finally that I had access to as a result of this Shacho business card. Like, it just upped my 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 uh, fishing rounds like to a completely new level. Well, and bro. then all of a sudden I'm linking up with Yakuza chicks and all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, I think that that's what we're going to you know, close this episode out on and, and, and promise for the next episode. We're going to talk about you and how you, you know, made your way into the upper class echelon of Japanese society and got access to, you know, Yakuza women. Um, I know you've got some crazy stories about that. And we'll also talk about some stuff, you know, related to how I, you know, made my way through 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 Japan. You know, I, I, I had a couple um, threesome um experiences oh, come on. I never went there I never went there come on you got you, you got to tell us about that Yeah I don't know if wow. I don't I don't know how good they were I don't know how good they were we'll talk okay. about them next time man Justin I appreciate it This is uh this is um Gaijin stories and uh it's Justin and Trevor we're talking about what it was like what it is like for foreign men in Japan Justin I appreciate it man we'll talk next time All right see you around. peace brother